Welcome to ASEAN Insights, Understanding Southeast Asia, the premier podcast that examines current dynamics defining the region. Brought to you by the Economic Research Institute for ASEAN and East Asia, each episode we will talk with thought leaders who are shaping the future of the region through research, policy, activism, or business. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I am Lydia Reddy, ERIA's Special Advisor of U.S. ASEAN Affairs and Director of Communications, the host of this episode. Today I'm with Dr. Aladin de Rio, ERIA's Senior Economic Advisor, to discuss ASEAN's road to recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic. Al has been a very distinct, has had a very distinguished career that has taken him from PwC in Toronto to ADB in Tokyo, and most recently serving as Deputy Secretary General of the ASEAN Economic Community. Al has written and published extensively on the ASEAN economy and on the broader economic and trade and financial integration issues. He holds a PhD and master's degree in economics from the University of Hawaii. All in all, Al is one of the most knowledgeable people anywhere when it comes to the ASEAN economy. Al, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Lydia. I'd like to start with a couple of, of broad questions. Hmm. Almost two years into the COVID pandemic crisis, what has changed in the region? And are we living in the new normal now already? Mm-hmm. And what is your outlook for the region's recovery? Okay, thank you, Lija. It's nice to be here. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to be invited for this podcast. Uh, looking at uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, I think COVID-19 pandemic has uh, changed the world around us in so many ways, uh, in the way we live, in the way we work, and even the way we learn. And some of these changes also created much more impact. For example, digitalization. Uh, I expect the digitalization or the impacts of digitalization to continue to accelerate uh, in the coming years beyond this pandemic. But I think regardless of the changes created by this pandemic, uh, I look at the emerging new normal okay, as uh, a window of opportunity to shape the future uh, in a sense that uh, the new normal, the way you see it, uh, presents uh, a new mindset or paradigm of addressing uh, challenges and issues in the region that we uh, did not take seriously before the pandemic. For example, the the linkages between climate change and uh, and health issues. These are important issues, but only because of the pandemic that we started to pay attention to. So the way that I look at the new normal, I think the new normal uh, presents an opportunity for us to address these new issues. That's why, in my view, in a way, I think we're now living in, in a new normal. So in terms of outlook, uh, I think we all recognize that COVID-19 remains uh, a significant risk to the region. Uh, while uh, economic recovery is now underway, uh, there's still a lot of uncertainties uh, uh, surrounding the outlook. For example, uh, both uh, output and growth momentum in ASEAN countries 
uh, perhaps with the exception of Vietnam, are expected to uh, remain below pre-pandemic levels this year and are only expected the way I see it, to recover fully next year. Uh, therefore, I think any prospect of immediate recovery in the region, the way I see it, uh, uh, depends so much on the vaccination programs, on the availability of vaccines, as well as uh, the extent by which uh, medical interventions and containment measures are being implemented across countries in the region. At the same time, uh, to be able to deliver on sizable gains in output, particularly in the medium term, and also to help uh, offset uh, the economic scarring from this crisis, I believe that strong macroeconomic policies definitely matter. And finally, I also believe that there is a need for strong regional cooperation in the region, uh, particularly how the region is being able to implement all those measures and uh, initiatives that are covered under the ASEAN Comprehensive Recovery Framework. I believe this year is quite crucial for ASEAN because this is the first time that we are implementing all those measures under the ACRF. So in terms of outlook, definitely the outlook is improving, but I think it still remains a cautious one, Lydia. Yeah. <clears throat> so you've, you've emphasized the new normal and a shift in mindset that needs to happen in the short term in order for the region to realize a strong and resilient recovery. What do you think are the critical factors that will shape the post-pandemic recovery in ASEAN in the medium to long term? When I look at the current situation right now, this current pandemic, uh, for me, the most uh, important challenge is what happens after this pandemic, uh, particularly how the region is able to uh, lay the foundations for a more resilient and inclusive recovery, as you mentioned. And in my view, there are two important factors that would shape the future uh, post-pandemic recovery in ASEAN. So let me elaborate these two factors. Uh, I think the first one is the ability of ASEAN to uh, make the supply chains more resilient and stronger. Uh, for me, this is an important issue because uh, if you look at economic growth in ASEAN, uh, growth in the region has been very much underpinned by uh, significant expansion in trade connectivity as well as uh, regional production networks over the years. Uh, when I talk about resilience, I think I, I, I'm thinking of how uh, supply structures can be supported by more diversified production sources and with greater end-to-end -end visibility in each stage of the supply chain. And also the ability to uh, deal with the, with the future shocks and to, in order to mitigate the, the impact. So, so uh, as the post-pandemic uh, post world uh, starts to emerge, I think uh, for me, uh, strengthening supply chain connectivity is no longer an option for ASEAN, but it is more of an imperative to be able to support a sustainable future for the region. And when we talk about strengthening supply chain resilience, I think one of the things that actually uh, helped facilitate that is the scaling up of digitalization. I think uh, during this pandemic, uh, we've seen how digitalization has 
actually help enhance uh, uh, visibility uh, at every stage of the supply chains. And I think that is very important because it would help uh, enhance the capacity of countries to uh, deal with the future shocks and to mitigate the, the impacts. At the same time, I look at uh, digitalization as also important in terms of uh, providing the level of uh, supply chain resilience across different industries, for example, uh, in manufacturing or services. And obviously, uh, digital technologies uh, have helped a lot in, 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 the, in making our supply chains more resilient. Uh, for example, uh, investing in more advanced technologies, uh, the way I see it, allows for uh, greater visibility uh, at the every stage of the supply chain. Uh, the use of big data also uh, helps uh, identify uh, possible problems along the supply chains. For example, problems related to uh, uh, delays in customs uh, uh, processing or even in the delivery or shipment. At the same time, uh, the use of uh, uh, blockchain technology, I think is very important, uh, Lydia, in terms of strengthening uh, supply chain documentation in a sense that blockchain technology can create a more secure and uh, immutable record that can also enhance the integrity of economic transactions. So I think all in all, uh, technologies really help a lot in, in this uh, 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 in facilitating resilience of the supply chains. And that's why I think it is very important for countries in the region to continue to make uh, the support on technological uh, solutions uh, a, 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 an important priority moving forward in order to make sure that these different technologies are able to uh, protect the global value chains. And obviously there are different uh, measures that we can do, for example, uh, strengthening e-commerce, promoting uh, uh, digital uh, investment or cybersecurity and even promoting uh, uh, digital uh, upskilling and literacy. These are important measures when we talk about digitalization. But let me talk about the second factor that I think is uh, <clears throat> important you know, in shaping the future of uh, the post-pandemic world in ASEAN. And I think the second factor here is the ability of ASEAN to address the increased inequality created by this pandemic. I think as we all know, COVID-19 has uh, actually reversed uh, gains in global poverty reduction. And at the same time, I think it, uh, it has had also a profound uh, impact on the various facets or multiple facets of inequality. Uh, for example, ADB estimated that this pandemic might have pushed around 80 million people in developing countries, including ASEAN, into extreme poverty. And I think this is also consistent to the results of our recent studies in area, wherein we found out, for example, that because of the, the pandemic, there are increased inequalities in the labor markets of Indonesia and Thailand, maybe because of the impact of the pandemic on the labor markets particularly the disproportionately, uh, uh, how it has disproportionately impacted, sorry, the, 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 those in the lower income groups. So therefore, I think the worsening income inequality is an important issue to be addressed in ASEAN for the simple reason that uh, 
worsening income inequality will intensify social tensions, right? And at the same time, I think it will constrain consumption. So taken collectively, this would definitely pose a significant risk to economic recovery. So the way I see it, it is indeed important for ASEAN countries to continue to uh, implement measures that protect the poor and also that reduce the worker disengagement. And at the same time, I think it is important that countries in ASEAN continue to implement important reforms in the labor markets, in the social safety nets, and even in the healthcare system, because we have to make sure that the post-pandemic recovery that would evolve in the future will definitely come back uh, much stronger and also will be able to deal uh, uh, more effectively and more quickly with any threat of a future crisis. So I think these two factors, the way I see it, are very important for the region to ensure that we are not only creating a, a, a recovery after this pandemic, but we have to make sure that the recovery is more inclusive and sustainable, particularly in the medium and long term. So <clears throat> I'd like to dig just a little bit deeper on that on the last point. Can you give a couple of examples, maybe policy examples, of what needs to happen to, at the regional level to address the issue of inclusivity and the widening gap? I think one important example, Lydia, is uh, how do we address issues related to small enterprises? And this is an issue that has been addressed by ASEAN for so many years. But I think the pandemic has highlighted the urgency for us to really look at how small businesses operate, for example, within an integrated economy, right? I think one important policy response is how we can uh, integrate the small enterprises into the global value chains. And at the same time, how digi digitalization can help these small enterprises be more integrated into the global regional production networks. Because for me, unless we address issues related to the small enterprises, which are occupying uh, a big percentage of, of our enterprises in the region, I don't think we will be able to create a more meaningful uh, uh, economic inclusion that we're talking about uh, in, in the region. Yeah, it's an, an interesting, um what, not conflict, but between inclusivity and digital economy, because digital economy can go either way, right? <laughs> it, can, it can widen the gap, but it could also bring more yeah. inclusivity. That's true, that's true. That's why I think when we talk about digital economy, for me, the most uh, challenging problem is how to address the digital divide, right? Because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you can have all those technologies around, but if the distribution is not being addressed, then I don't think we will be able to have a more meaningful uh, uh, integration in the digital world, particularly in the case of ASEAN. Yeah, and that and also goes into gender issues. I mean, they're exactly. the SMEs, but a lot of the MSMEs are are women led. So mm -hmm. it's a whole other factor that we can do another podcast on sometime. <laughs> That's true. Um, I'd like to you you mentioned in your first answer climate change, and so. I'd like to get to the issue of, of um, the need for ASEAN to address sustainability in all of its dimensions. I, when I look at about the post-pandemic recovery, right, uh, I think particularly when we try 
to achieve a more inclusive, right, post-pandemic recovery in, in ASEAN. For me, one important element of the region's uh, long-term resilience or inclusivity is the ability of the region to uh, promote uh, sustainability across different dimensions, as you mentioned. And, and this is an important issue, the way I see it, because uh, there is uh, strong evidence that suggests that uh, sustainability challenges, for example, the impacts of uh, climate change, as you mentioned, or natural disasters, are, the impacts of these are, in fact, more complex and also pose more daunting uh, scenarios than the pandemic. And when you look at these sustainability issues, these are not exactly new issues in the region. Uh, ASEAN has been trying to address these issues through different initiatives and measures. But I think what happened here is that the pandemic highlighted the urgency and the call for more action for the region to address these issues more effectively and more seriously. In my view, uh, failure to address these issues in our recovery efforts are going to be problematic, particularly in the medium term. And also I think this would uh, uh, create more problems in the region if we don't address all these issues uh, moving forward. That's why for me, it's about time for ASEAN countries to rethink their strategies and approaches uh, towards addressing sustainability <clears throat> problems in ASEAN in order to make sure that uh, the recovery that we're talking about here is definitely stronger and something that will create uh, more inclusive, inclusion inclusiveness moving forward. And when I talk about or when I look at sustainability issues or challenges in ASEAN, for me, there are two important priorities for the region to address sustainability challenges. One is the need for ASEAN to facilitate the uh, low carbon energy transition. And the second one is how to develop more sustainable financing. So let me elaborate on these two issues. In terms of low carbon energy transition, I think this is very important in a sense that energy <clears throat> is an important input to our uh, economic growth, right? And at the same time, when you invest on, on clean energy, for example, clean energy uh, projects or investments, this will definitely add to the existing uh, infrastructure stocks in the country or in the region in general. And what happens is that once you have a very expanded uh, stock of infrastructure in the region that would uh, create more economic activities and at the same time generate more employment opportunities, I think that's the economic rationale why uh, uh, low carbon uh, uh, energy transition and investments in these uh, 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 projects are, are, are very important. That's why the way I see it, I think it's important for ASEAN to really push forward with those uh, stimulus measures that we're implementing right now in the region and, and make them consistent with the climate resilient solutions that we are also pursuing in ASEAN. I'm talking here in concrete terms, in terms of how the region can facilitate uh, investment in uh, green infrastructure or sustainable infrastructure projects in general. For me, these uh, infrastructure projects are quite important because they can uh, double down on uh, promoting uh, 
uh, uh, climate action okay, in the region and at the same time addressing uh, the infrastructure bottlenecks that would definitely uh, spur uh, more jobs in the region and definitely would support the, the recovery. So that is one. Uh, we need to make sure that the region is ready to facilitate the, the uh, low carbon energy transition. The second uh, factor here, the second aspect of sustainability that I want to emphasize is sustainable financing. Again, I think when I talk about sustainable financing, this is about how you can incorporate the positive social and environmental factors into economic decisions. And why is this important? This is important to make sure that the, the economic activities are really creating long-term impacts in terms of sustainability in, in the region. The problem, however, is that we have a shortage of available financing uh, instruments, right, in ASEAN. Although there are already some uh, mechanisms being explored, for example, the use of green bonds or the use of sustainability bonds. But considering the huge needs of the region of all these sustainability uh, investments, for me, there is a need to develop a more innovative uh, financing instruments. And these uh, financing instruments, in my view, cannot just be a monopoly of the governments alone. We need to make sure that whatever financing instruments we develop in the region to address sustainability would also involve the markets or the private sector. That's why I, I'm very much biased on having a stronger public-private partnership in terms of ensuring that uh, we create the right uh, uh, mechanisms, financing mechanisms in the region to be able to address all these uh, problems related or issues related to sustainability. So those are the two important issues, uh, how to facilitate low carbon transition and how to make sure that the region is able to uh, develop the right financing instruments to address the, the more pressing problem of sustainable finance. So just to follow up slightly on the, on the um, financing question, how much of that would be done at the national level versus the regional level? And what, what, what needs to happen at the ASEAN level to enable these financing mechanisms? For me at the regional level, I think we have to create the right environment, right? The right regulatory framework to make to, to really force countries at the national level to implement those. I think, I think that is what's happening in ASEAN right now in terms of, for example, when you look at finance cooperation in, in ASEAN, we are actually looking at different mechanisms, how to promote infrastructure financing, for example, how to deepen capital markets, uh, what are the different mechanisms to... Uh, further ensure that the capital markets in the region are, are, are liquid and what are the different instruments that can be explored. I think at the moment, uh, our finance officials in ASEAN are exploring those, are discussing those. But for me, uh, that's not enough. Uh, I think it's also a question of how those uh, regional initiatives are being implemented, particularly at the country level. I, I think it's one one thing to have the push at the regional level to have all these regulatory frameworks in place, but at the end of the day, uh, they will only become meaningful if they get implemented, particularly 
at the country level to ensure that there are concrete results being generated on the ground. So it's a question of to what extent ASEAN is able to push forward the implementation of all these uh, regulatory issues and initiatives being implemented on issues related to financing. Yeah, thank you for, for going into that a bit deeper. So ASEAN has um, its work cut out for it. I, I'm wondering how much do, you referred earlier to the recovery framework. How much of this is covered in the framework? Actually, uh, when you look at the recovery framework, right, and particularly the implementation plan, there are, and, and if I can remember, around 184 measures or strategies in the implementation plan. That's a lot, right? Yeah. And that cover uh, across issues across the, the, the five broad strategies of the, of the recovery plan. For example, one is on the, uh, the opening up of the markets, how to promote human security. There's also another dimension on digitalization and also another dimension on sustainability. So I think these are all important areas for the, uh, for the region to recover. That's why when the implementation plan was developed, we have to make sure that all the different strategies would complement, right? All those different broad uh, 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 pillars. But for me, I think it's the implementation that matters, you know? And, and this year is the first year that ASEAN is implementing the recovery framework and the implementation plan. So this year is indeed very crucial in terms of how ASEAN is really able to uh, uh, deliver, right? On the, on the various initiatives that were developed last year and also being able to implement them because this is also important to ensure the credibility of ASEAN, right? On, on how the region is serious enough to, uh, to ensure that uh, we're, we, we don't have just a plan here, but we are also trying to implement the plan and, and, and ensure that there are concrete results you know, from this uh, uh, recovery framework. And it's very, very challenging because yeah. as you know, uh, uh, we're talking here of different sectors, right? Particularly on the economic side and different initiatives and how to coordinate actions uh, at the country level as well and to complement uh, those actions at the regional level. So it will take a lot of, of, of work and commitment among countries in the region. Yeah, so we're almost at the end of 2021. And, and so when you say this year, are you referring to the last couple of months in 2021 or 2022? More focus I on 2022? Right, because this year we the, the the framework itself was developed last year, right? It, it was adopted in November last year during the ASEAN summit, and after that, the country started implementing the measures in the recovery framework. So there are there is already ongoing implementation this year. But uh, the thing is that when you look at the recovery framework, we're not only talking about the immediate measures, right? We're also talking about uh, how uh, the different measures can complement the, not only the recovery phase, but also the more important issues in the, in the, in the coming years, you know, including, for example, issues related to sustainability or how to create more resilient uh, uh, ASEAN region. Uh, it's, it's not only a matter of looking at issues in the reopening of the economies during this pandemic, 
but what would happen you know after that and what are the other measures that the region should be able to focus on to make sure that the recovery remains uh, inclusive and sustainable yeah. okay good i'm going to i'm going to be calling on you in 12 months or less <laughs> for a follow up on on how it's going implementation wise sure but, i look forward to that <laughs> i just i want to thank you very much for an, an excellent conversation today. Lots of issues in there. And um, I look forward to watching the progression of the implementation. Thank you, Lija. Nice to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you have any questions about the issues explored in this episode, email us at contactus at iria.org. If you enjoyed this episode, Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other streaming platforms so that you will be notified about future sessions.